0: Second lesson this morning comes from the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verses 23 to 31. <coughs> Friends, hear the word of the Lord. By faith, Moses was hidden by his parents for three months after his birth because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called a son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to share ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered abuse suffered For Christ to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, unafraid of the king's anger, for he persevered as though he saw him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as if it were dry land, but when the Egyptians attempted to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after they had been encircled for seven days. And by faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had received the spies in peace. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, very recently I had a friend who posted a photo Um, of a city uh, that I was very familiar with, uh, that I felt like in some ways was a second home to me. Uh, It was a photo of San Francisco, but in the picture that this individual posted, I had no idea where it was. And in fact, she posted two pictures, one looking at one angle and one looking at the other. And I thought, that's got to be somewhere totally different. Chicago, New York, I don't know. And then when I asked her, where was that? And the individual said, San Francisco. I was shocked. I couldn't imagine that this could happen. This city that I felt like was home to me, that I thought I knew every nook and cranny of, that all of a sudden I could see something that was totally unfamiliar. It felt disorienting in a way, and even a little bit turbulent. How could a place that I thought I knew so well all of a sudden feel totally unrecognizable? I knew that with a few more landmarks and a broader skyline that I would probably be able to place the city no problem. But the problem was that up close in this particular space, I saw nothing that I knew. And in fact, what I thought was home felt like a strange land. It was a completely unrecognizable space. And it kind of scared me. With some more data, I began to understand that this was a place that I hadn't spent a lot of time in. I knew it, but I didn't know the details very well. And if I could back up and get a bigger picture of what was going on, that I would have the opportunity for all of the things to realign and for me to be able to recognize it. But it doesn't change the fact that there are parts of what we think is home that we can come to again and suddenly feel like we don't belong, like it doesn't make sense and like we can't even place it. And these are very turbulent times within our lives when we come to those places of home and we can't quite make sense of it we begin to doubt ourselves and even our own history. And I don't know if this has ever happened to you when maybe you go back to your childhood home or a place where you had spent a lot of time as a younger person and you walk the streets and you think, I don't remember this. Was this even here when I used to live here? Or I remember walking into my childhood home and um, maybe this has happened to you where all of a sudden everything seems really small. And you think, how did we fit all of those people in this one room? It's just absolutely tiny. You feel a little bit like a stranger in a strange land. And you start to wonder if the stories that you told yourself all along were true or if in fact you were making something up. Do you really remember your history and the way that it unfolded? Or did you just perceive something that in fact was not, that didn't line up to reality? These are the questions that this writer of Hebrews is wrestling with in this particular time. This whole idea of feeling like a stranger in a strange land within the landscape of faith is very real for this second generation church. We talked a little bit about this last week, but I want to help us remember that this congregation, that this group of people that are receiving this letter, this is not the first group of Christians that is emerging within the first century. This is not like the tiny little group that was started by Paul in Rome and in other places around the Roman Empire. They don't date back that far. This is a second generation group. So that means that a lot of the leaders from the first season have passed, and now they're trying to make sense of their landscape of faith. They're trying to make sense of that skyline. They're trying to put it together in a way that helps them to understand, is this something that's going to move into the future, or was this just a 50-year project that maybe now is changing and we need to bring to a halt, right? See, oftentimes, especially I want to remind our folks today, we come to a season within the life of the church when we think, well, maybe this is it. And we're not the only ones that have ever asked that question, right? There's many people that have come before us that have asked that same question. Oh, maybe this is it. 50 years was a long time to do this whole thing, or maybe this is the end of the line, right? Right? And the writer of Hebrews speaks into this particular context of folks who are wondering, are we going to move beyond this second-generation church? Are we going to move into something different? They need to make sense of the landmarks of their faith. They need to find themselves within a more spacious place where they can start to recognize where they are again, because it's a time where all of a sudden things are shifting and it doesn't quite make sense. I want to back up for just a second and give you just a little bit of information. And sometimes I do this within my sermons. If you like it, that's great. If you don't like it, just hang in there. It won't take that long. So one of the things that I like to do is just give you a little bit of data to help you understand what's happening within this first century landscape. And one of the largest questions that the first century church had to reckon with was should or should they not include the Old Testament in their sacred texts? Raise your hand if that sounds familiar. A few of you, yeah. Um, so there were folks, more than just a few folks, who thought that in fact what we now know as the Hebrew Bible, as the Old Testament, was not actually relevant to the Christian faith. It was something that needed to be uh, rejected as too strong of a word, but in fact maybe it needed to be put in the archaeological files something that was, you know, something that brought us to this space, but now we're somewhere else, and so we sort of need to make a clear line in the sand and recognize that we're moving into this ground of New Testament data, and we are, in fact, moving off of the landscape of Old Testament data, and and we need to make a clear delineation, right? This was a very rigorous debate, and in fact, there were people on multiple sides, as there are in every sort of space, And so while today we can look at this information and see, well, that seems like an obvious error, of course we need all of these stories of faith, right, to make sense of what it is that we're up to. Gosh, I'm so glad that we have the whole Bible. But what we need to recognize is that in part, we have the writer of Hebrews to thank for the fact that we in fact get this rich collection, of faith stories that stretches back over history. Because one of the most important things that the writer of Hebrews had to do was to look back and see a history not that is disconnected with the early story of the people of Israel, but in fact, what the writer of Hebrews starts to see, and you can see this clearly in the text that we read, is the writer of Hebrews makes this claim that the faith of the early church is in fact built It cannot be moved from this solid rock of the unfolding of the story of God from the beginning of what we have written in the history of the people of Israel. That these two things are not two separate projects, but they're in fact part of the very same project that they inform and grow out of one another. The radical thing that we don't even think of as radical now, but that would have been radical within the first century, is that what the writer of Hebrews is saying is that the very faith that we are practicing today is one and the same as the faith of Abraham and Moses. Now, that that seems obvious to many of us in this room today, but it wasn't obvious in the first century Because in the first century, they had inherited this story of the gospel and they had to figure out how that story connected with this history that they had received, that some of them were a part of and that some of them weren't. And somehow they had to make a more gracious space, a bigger space, a larger landscape for everybody to figure out a place to sort of sink their feet into. Keep in mind that there would have been people who were outside the practicing realm of what it meant to be a person of Israel who would have been reading this text. And all of a sudden, a community that they had never been a part of before is now their community. So we come to these spaces within our history, within our faith, where looking back can actually create a more gracious and compassionate and open and inclusive space. And that's part of what was happening within the text today. But there's a second thing that the writer does that I wanna talk about briefly that's actually really extraordinary. And last week, you remember that there is some evidence that the writer of Hebrews was a woman. And I think that we see a little bit of this come up, particularly within the latter part of our text today. Because the writer does something really extraordinary. In the midst of all of these better-known stories of the people of Israel, the writer includes a story that nobody else would have known. The writer includes the story of the person of Rahab. Very early in the story of Joshua, and Joshua 2, in fact, that's where Rahab gets her big, her big sort of space on the stage of the text um, of the Old Testament. Uh, where she has the opportunity to, to hide the spies that come into Jericho. And just so that we can note, she is not mentioned at any other time within Scripture, Okay, so the Psalms don't mention her, the prophets don't mention her, but then here, all of a sudden, within Hebrews 11, she's recovered. She's brought out of the margins of the text, and she's brought into sort of this center stage. Now, the thing that I want us to notice is that she was always there. The writer of Hebrews is not making her up. She was always there, but the writer of Hebrews lifts her from the sidelines of the story right into the center of the faith, to the center of the church, to the center of the skyline, and nothing actually changes from the records of history, but the celebration and the noticing and the ways in which her story is weaved into this greater story of faith, that changes right here within the book of Hebrews. So friends, it's an oversight to assume that we do not play a role in the way that we tell the story of the history of our faith. It's an oversight to assume that our voices don't matter as we begin to share what it means to practice this faith. Our stories and our telling will always be full of our own perspectives, but that's actually necessary in order for us to see the full landscape of what it is that we're actually dealing with. And I think that part of what we see here tucked within the story, within um, this letter to the Hebrews, is this invitation for us to look back to recognize Where is it that we need to recover pieces of our own story that are actually there, that have been there all along, but that need to come to a more center space? How is it that we can look back at our story so that we can create a more gracious space within the history that we have inherited that makes space for everyone? As I thought a little bit more about my inability to recognize that part of San Francisco, what I began to realize is that it said more about me than anything else. It was really about me. It wasn't about the city. Of course that part of the city was always there. It was about the fact that I had never been able to see it before. And it wasn't my fault. That was just a function of my own... History where I grew up, the neighborhood that my dad lived in, the streets that I walked, the places that I traced with my own fingertips, just happened to be a different part of the city. It wasn't my fault that I didn't know this space, but I needed somebody else's eyes to get on that space so that I could recognize that in fact the city was bigger than I ever thought it was before. I needed somebody else's eyes to get to something that was always there so that in fact I could see it as if for the first time. And that's one of the reasons why having a new perspective is so important within the life of our church and our faith. That's why we have new elders and new deacons, so that we can have new perspectives that become integrated within the life of our church. It doesn't change the community, it changes what we see. And sometimes people are able to discern something that in fact was always right there, right under our nose, but we just couldn't see it. We need new perspectives to come in and lift those who have been there all along but that haven't been able to be recognized because others haven't come in to say, hey, this is a part of the story too. So the good news of the gospel and the good news of our text today is that the faith that we practice in fact stretches It's elastic, it's dynamic, it's movable, it has perspectives, it can take different perspectives, and it needs those in order to see all of the different dimensions that are found within. Rahab's not mentioned in the prophets, she's not mentioned in the Psalms, only in the story of Joshua. So imagine the people coming together for the first time. Rahab, they might wonder, who even is this? We don't even have any of the books that include her, because that is possible. These books were circulated in different ways. It would have been possible for them to not even have a book that gave testament to Rahab. Is someone making stuff up? Is someone changing history? They could ask. No. She was there all along only forgotten and now lifted to a prominent place within the skyline. So friends, as we move into this next week and into September and into this ongoing season of our faith where there are a lot of turbulent questions and a lot of things that are changing and a lot of things that we thought we always had nailed down and now all of a sudden they don't and they seem up for grabs And I just want to issue the good news that we see written within the text of Hebrews today, and that is that this faith is big. It is able and actually needs other perspectives in order to lift it. We cannot do it alone. And when we hear those from the sidelines, from those who are different, we actually see Not something that is different, but something that was there all along. We just didn't have the eyes to see it. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you particularly today for our new elders and for our upcoming new deacons who are going to offer and issue new perspectives that we would not have without their voice. We thank you for this text that invites that invites us to examine the alleys and the different neighborhoods of our history that maybe we forgot about. Help us rediscover those so that, in fact, we can see the larger landscape of our faith. We ask this in your name. Amen. Friends, let us stand.